burger finds a playing card and picks it up and says, I collect playing cards around the city. You know, once you start looking for them, um, they start showing up. And I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Hey, welcome to The Drawing Board, a new podcast about how creative people live and interact with the world. I'm your host, Sophia Smith. On today's episode, we're talking about playing cards. Collecting them, fishing them out of the gutter, but also going viral on the internet because of them, and what it means to engage with your haters and the power of being authentic online. Stay tuned. I was like, what are you doing? Because I like, looked pretty sus and I was like, I collect trash, like, I collect cards. It's just trash. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, what the hell? That's Peter Slattery. Peter collects playing cards that he finds on the street. I'm following Peter through Brooklyn on one of his daily walks. It's super windy today and the ground is wet from rain, which Peter tells me are prime conditions for finding cards because the wind blows them around and then they stick to the sidewalk. I haven't been on this particular block too much so we can see, see what there is to see. What we see mostly is trash. There is a lot of trash on the streets of Brooklyn. There's a few other like street finds that will trick you that look like a card at first glance. So business cards you'll sometimes find on the ground, um, receipts, lotto tickets. Like this, not a card. It's a hotel key. Same shape though. Spoiler alert, we didn't find any cards today. But that's okay. Peter already has a full deck displayed in his bedsty apartment. They're all pushpinned onto a corkboard. The cards are all different designs, and he's got duplicates stacked on top of each other. I, I put a lot of care into these goofy cards. Some of them have dirt that I just can't get off, and that's kind of part of the appeal in a gross way. Like, some are pristine, and some are like I fished out of a gutter, literally kind of gross. So I used to really keep an eye out for magazines, um, for collage art. So I've been looking for those for years, but in the pandemic, I was sort of not finding magazines as much anymore and thinking about, okay, what would be a new project I could work on and rewatching Sex in the City. There's a minor detail where Berger, he finds a playing card and picks it up and says, I collect playing cards around the city. You know, once you start looking for them, um, they start showing up. And I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Peter really only had one rule. If he found a full deck of cards, he wasn't allowed to take that because that would just be way too easy. But he didn't limit himself to one card at a time either. Basically what I did is that if I find one card, great. If I find 10 cards, I'm taking all 10. One card at a time, one card at a time. Okay, now I found 12. Okay, one card, one card. Now I found 20. Because he sometimes found lots of cards at once, Peter was able to complete his deck a lot faster than he originally thought. Because I had no idea how long it was take. I thought it could take five years. I thought it could take one year. I thought it, I, I just didn't know. It took pretty much six months total, I would say. Once he finished his project, of course, he turned to the place that we all go to share what we're up to with the rest of the world. The internet. You know, no one can have a nice thing on the internet. Once I found all 52, I was pretty proud of that. And I thought it was, you know, a cool New York story. And so I just posted it on Instagram and tweeted it like, hey, I had this project for myself, you know, take daily walks and see if I can find a deck of cards by finding them on the street. Um, 
And then it got sort of picked up by meme accounts basically saying, wow, like what an epic win. Um, but then it also got picked up by these sort of accounts that are like, you know, one in particular that is like people faking their wins. And I was like kind of distressed by both because it wasn't, it, it wasn't really either. It was just a project that I wanted to share to say like, hey, walks are, walks are cool. And so the sort of response online was mostly positive, mostly people saying, wow, that's cool. Some people saying you faked it. I mean, I think the two strains of negative comment on it were, that's gross, which fair, you know, it is me picking up trash. And then also that's fake. How did it feel when you first saw people accusing you of making it up? Oh God, I mean, I was defensive. You know, it became so divorced from my original post. Like I did a tweet and then I threaded some tweets with some details of like, here are my favorite cards. Here's like the card I have the most of. And when people went to the original thread, they're like, oh, I see. But it was sort of an interesting lesson of going through the meme sphere because there's the original tweet and then there's the screenshot of the tweet that went to the original meme accounts. And then there's a screenshot of the screenshot that went to the this is fake accounts. There's actually a thread, a sub thread where someone was like, obviously he's doing it for attention. Someone else was like, well, what does he have to gain? And the guy's like, well, he's probably writing a book. Like wait a couple months and you'll see he has a book to promote. And like, dude, I wish, you know, I'm almost getting in my head like, well, fuck, what it, it, was my process? Like, did I, you know, shouldn't, should I have, you know, done one card at a time actually? And then I'm like, wait a minute, like, this is just my project. I get to set the parameters. Like overall confusing. Overall, it, it's sad because it kind of discourages me from posting about a cool thing, which is a bummer. Yeah, once you put something out into the world, whether it's, you know, mm -hmm. a personal challenge or an art thing that you've made, like, you you almost lose a little bit of um, ownership over it. Like, it becomes its own thing that other people interact with that's, like, removed from you. No, absolutely. I mean, people, people who were celebrating it, saying it was fake... Um, thought about Peter Slattery. I mean, some people personally said I was cool or said I sucked, which was weird both ways. That criticism or celebration was removed from me personally. They don't know me. And you work in social media. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you deal with social media in more than one way, at least in your life. Did this inform how you approached the reception of it? Sure. I mean, something I think about in my job, which is a little depressing, but is necessary is you want to think about when you press the post button, let's say for a brand account, um, what the most uncharitable reading of the post is going to be like, okay, what's the expected result of me putting this out into the world? And what's someone who is just going to hate whatever I put out? What would they do with this? And so, yeah, like, had I thought tactically about this post, I might have thought about, like, oh, people are going to say it's fake. Therefore, I should have an extra detailed accounting of every single thing and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's what I would recommend in some ways. But also, like, this is just a personal project. And I did take photos of a lot of the finds and sent them to friends and, you know, 
you know, I, I could get together all the evidence if I really wanted to and posted some of it just to be like, you know, hey, shut up. But, you know, if you really don't want to get owned on the internet, you have to get ahead of it at, at, at the first blush of posts. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's a crummy expectation. I, I think that that's a crummy way to live your life. So, you know, for my job where posting is essential, you think defensively. And for your life where posting is absolutely not essential, just don't do it. And, you know, I'm glad I posted it for the most part just to connect with some other kooky kind of collectors. Uh, that was cool. Um, was it worth the grief from random British people saying this was fake? Not really. I don't know. I unfortunately don't have a book to promote, so it doesn't work on that level for me. Those, those are my, my two takeaways is generally don't post. And if you do, um, it's worth thinking very, very tactically about the worst case scenario, but which is not a way to live your life. The idea of proofing things with an uncharitable reading just uh, makes me think of, you know, like playing devil's advocate mm -hmm. against yourself, which uh, strikes me as something that would inhibit a creative process. You know, if you're constantly second guessing yourself as you're creating or, or in anticipation of sharing your art with the world, um, that seems like a really difficult obstacle to overcome. Um, so it's interesting to hear you talking about that as um, as part of your job. I don't know. I mean, do you do you encounter that in your artistic life also? Yeah. I mean, the benefit of doing social for like a media company or brand or something like that is you know, you, you sort of take it personally if someone doesn't like the article or post you put out, but you've got the shield of the brand, you know. I'm not Peter Slattery when I'm running a media account, I'm the media account. So yeah, I mean, in my free time, I do projects like this. I make art, I make collage art, you know, paint, make a little music, stuff like that. But I think that doing some of that social media stuff for my job makes me very wary to like self-promote um, sometimes to a detriment, like people will see my collage art and be like, oh my God, you should like post it, but you know, you should put this out, you should blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I'm sort of inclined, I think naturally to be like, no, this is kind of just for me. And with this project, the, the ultimate goal was mostly to just take walks and finish the deck, not post about it. But then that kind of became tempting once it was like, oh wow, I completed this. I really did it. Let's celebrate it. And I think that it, um, one way or another, makes one assess, reassess, whatever, that instinct to be like, I completed this, let me post about that. And um, I think that for most of my art, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll make a post about it, but it's not packaged. Like a big part of my job is packaging. A big part of my job is narrative. David and Goliath, Rise and Fall, whatever. Like there are narratives you can kind of shoehorn a story into that will make people more likely to share it uh, just because it makes sense to them. And with my collage art, I'm really not trying to fit it in a narrative, but this project and the way it was kind of quantitative and the way it was pandemic related and the way it was like completionist, the packaging made sense. It was more shareable to an extent. And I see why it took off to some extent. And I also see why people would say, oh, okay, this is something you might fake because you have a 
you know, an idea that it's compelling in a way that fits this kind of completionist narrative thing that people like. Definitely a lot of thoughts about the way you package your projects. Um, and I sort of stumbled into one that was eminently shareable. Another part of it I think that's interesting is that branded content, editorial, journalism, whatever you want to call it, is created specifically for an audience. And art is created usually specifically for yourself. Um, but then the sharing of that art brings in an audience. So it's interesting to think about why we do the things that we do and who we do the things that we do for. Um, and people who try to make art to please other people, personal opinion, I think it's not as good as the art that we make for ourselves. That I, I feel like there's an interesting reckoning when you, the art that you have created for yourself, then you have to suddenly turn around and share it with the world. Yes, and partially that's a mental thing. Like I could have just as easily not taken a photo of the project and I think that a big reason why I took a photo of it is because up until getting the second vaccine, I couldn't have anyone over to see it, you know? And so partially like posting it is more part of our mental DNA than ever. But even beyond the pandemic, like that instinctual reaction now of I made a cool thing, especially art, um, I have to share it in this certain way is interesting and, and complicated. You know, the self-promotion of art aspect is probably super necessary to, you know, at this point, get some, get some traction. And I think that at work, I'm almost exclusively writing stuff tactically, um, thinking about, okay, I'm going to write about Spotify. That's a platform people care about. Um, I'm going to write about Spotify scams. That's a narrative people like, scam stuff. But I'm very tactical in thinking about what I'm writing about and giving myself a chance at success as far as metrics. Um, in my personal art, I don't think that way because I'm flexing that muscle at work, you know? So I think that for me, if I wasn't flexing that muscle at work, I'd probably be doing it more with my art. And that's like an important like church and state or something. But I can totally see how if art is your job, those poles become one. And I can't really like diss anyone for doing that in a way. I mean, even though like you said, you know, it, it, it personal opinion, it's sort of like, yeah, you should be making stuff for you. And if people dig it, great. But um, it's complicated. You know, I sort of have the luxury generally of working in nine to five and then making art in my free time. So there isn't really the pressure either. If it gets picked up and people like it, then great. That's the cherry on top. But yeah, yeah. Pressure, pressure on artists is difficult. Yeah. And I mean, I think also usually the, the type of art that is more likely to be picked up in the general consciousness is something that taps into the zeitgeist in a certain way. So, I mean, you can make as much art as you want for yourself, but, um, I do think that there's, yeah, there's totally that element of thinking about it tactically and like, how can I do something for myself, but also in a way that speaks to like greater consciousness. Um, yeah, so lately I've become obsessed with uh, Lil Nas X. Mm. He came out with Call Me By Your Name and I, I mean, I'd heard Old Town Road and hadn't really, I didn't know much about him, but um, recently I was reading about like his origin story, yeah. which is, amazing he's a tweet decker 
Oh, is he? Back in the day, yeah. You know, I'm interrupting you here, but... Um, no, go for it. You know, he's got a knowledge of the internet that is super tactical, you know? Tweet decking essentially is like gaming Twitter with multiple accounts and kind of loose relationships and and then, you know, sneaking some self-promo in there. Um, gaming a social media platform, basically. Um, and there's nuance to that, but like... Yeah, I mean, this has been said plenty, but like Old Town Road being this kind of goofy cowboy song, the original music video was like clips from Red Dead Redemption when that game was really big. Like, it it doesn't surprise me that that went viral, like, and went viral from a dude with a deep knowledge of kind of trying to make things go viral. He seems like a creative individual as well, but yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I think it's so interesting that, you know, he was trying to promote his music, but it's like people on the internet don't really care if you have a SoundCloud link, like, to the extent that that's become its own meme, like, you have something go viral and you tack on the SoundCloud, the SoundCloud link afterwards because you have to kind of ride the wave of some other virality that you have because people don't care about the this the self-promo soundcloud link in and of itself and he was running into that issue and then he thought well yeah what if what if i just dub other funny videos yeah over what, with old town road what if the music is the meme exactly and the, and then people will care about it and so i think the the first um post that he had go viral was some cowboy kid like dancing at a rodeo and he dubbed dubbed it with Old Town Road, and that went viral. And then suddenly people cared about the song, and they were like, oh, this is a catchy song, but people don't even want to bother with just, like, pressing on the SoundCloud link. It doesn't work, like, as a promo strategy. Like, people don't click it. Like, maybe one person clicks it, but, like, in any quantifiable way compared to the original funny thing that people are there for, no, it, it's a great point. Yeah, that initial that initial thing you put out has to kind of have the juice, which I think is, like you know, kind of cool and genius and kind of a bummer, you know, that to get social media acclaim for your music, it's got to have some meme aspect to it. Our internet attention span is so low that that's kind of necessary. But um, yeah, it, it, to, to be a creator in this environment seems really difficult and complicated when you have to have a meme aspect to kind of make it go. Yeah. And I think audiences or consumers of social media are um, savvy to it and also kind of uh, cynical against it as well. Be like, it's sort of the other side of the coin of whoever online was saying um, that you were just doing this to promote something. Yeah. Right? It's like you went viral and so because you went viral, they expect that you had done so because you had an ulterior motive mm -hmm. to do so. Mm -hmm even though it was just a chance of the interwebs that this that got picked up <laughs> right. by, by places. But it's like, because they've seen that that's a formula that works and that people do take advantage of, they expect it out of you as well. Because people use the internet so tactically, that's the expectation. And what's funny is in my job, I totally do tactical strategies. My personal life, because that's my job, I don't. And so it's particularly funny for the freaking card thing to get picked up because I'm like, you can look at my Twitter 
it's not it's not aimed at viral success like i don't run my personal twitter for work i run my personal twitter to you know post cat photos but not like the perfect cat photo that i know is going to get the retweets you know like i would recommend for anyone who vaguely works in social media to take the pedal off of their personal branded stuff because it's exhausting i will say i do think that you have um a great presence on the internet <laughs> and I think part of it is because you're not like trying to perfectly curate your online personal brand um, which honestly I think a lot of people are sick of we've seen this whole era come and go in you know the early to mid 2010s I guess of like the Instagram influencer with like all the perfect filters on their photos and everything and now I feel like we're in the, this era of the relatable influencer where it's just like people who are living their life and I think Gen Z is all about this where they'll post like unflattering photos of themselves which you know people in our generation and older like we didn't really do that it was you know highly scary and terrifying and like why would you ever do that but now it's it seems more accepted to do sure. that and um you know not that you're posting unflattering photos of yourself <laughs> on the internet but you know, when you're talking about, like, a cat photo that's just a cat photo. Yeah. Um, and that's, ah. that's real. And, you know, you're doing it for yourself, but it's also that thing of um, not trying too hard. And I think audiences, um, being the discerning social media consumers that we are, like, people can see that it's authentic and that you're not, like, trying to... That you're not trying to post uh, the perfect cat photo because... That can turn people off too. Yeah. And it's like, it's a weird balance. Like it's, it's sort of a catch 22. Like if you're trying hard to not try hard, then you're sort of still trying. But I totally agree with you with the generational aspect of it. Because like, if you look at TikTok, like a lot of really famous people on there or popular people on there or micro influencers on there, you know, there are some aesthetic considerations, but it's pretty rough. It's pretty frenetic. It's pretty goofy filter. And you know, I'm using a robot voice for this one and you know I've got weird lighting and my face is half in frame and all that kind of thing. I, I think a lot of the TikTok creators to your point are creating content that's in opposition to the perfect branded. I'm using the same sepia filter on, on my grid and I think a lot of people um, are creating stuff that whether intentionally or kind of more subtly is, is, is um, in opposition to that which is, I don't know, good. Um, good if it's not taking up the same amount of mental space to be like, I'm not going to have an aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of in this era now of maybe the anti-aesthetic. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I think, I think it's cool, question mark. It's sort of refreshing at the very least to, to see that this evolution of social media um, away from highly polished. Yeah, I do these three. I do these three things. I'm a I'm a cat dad. I you know work at this place, and my identity is wrapped up in three aesthetic things that I post about, and as a consistent experience for my followers. And like people send me photos of cards sometimes, right? And I think I I get a kick out of it because I'm like, oh cool, you found cards in you know wherever you're at. But I'm not the card guy, you know, that's not, I'm not making an account that's like Peter's cards. Like I could, that might be interesting, but to your point, I don't, that's, I don't have a personal 
brand really. I'm not I'm not trying to like sublimate parts of my personality into commodity Instagram accounts. You know, I am a multifaceted human being who will try to reflect that online. Yeah. I I post wherever I see the number 666 in the wild. Usually it's license plates, but it could also be a street address or a phone number um, on a receipt. And I've posted so many of them over the years. It's gotten to the same point. People see it in the wild and they will take a photo and send it to me because I am now the 666 photo collector girl mm. on the internet, <laughs> at least among people who follow me on Instagram. Um, but it happens a fair amount that people send me photos of those and sometimes I'll repost it and sometimes I don't. Um, I used to be more uh, religious about posting every single time I saw a 666 and you know I'd see license plates out and I would double check to make sure it wasn't a repeat because I didn't post repeats and um, it was this whole thing. It still is a thing. Uh, but I, I do feel a little bit more relaxed now. I don't feel um, this weird pressure on myself to post every single time that I see one and also to make sure that it's not a repeat. But I think that's good. Like, I think that if it's a personal project and you get some joy about posting it about it occasionally, that's like a pretty good medium. You get a little bit of internet validation, but it's still, you know, kind of centered around you. And that's what the card project started as and kind of got off the rails a little bit but i still collect cards when i find them and i you know post about it sometimes don't always and so i kind of got back to that place after sort of reaching this weirdo peak of finishing the first deck um but i think that what you're describing sounds like a, a happy medium and an achievable happy medium for a project of that nature yeah i mean i also had this weird experience of you know i had like this sort of a dry spell during the pandemic. I wasn't going out as much, and so I wasn't um, finding, I wasn't encountering any in the wild and taking photos to post on social media. So um, at a certain point, when I did start seeing it again, I'd almost like fallen out of the habit. And I, as I started noticing them again, I felt this weird obligation to maintain it, to whom I, I have no idea, um, to myself, to the internet, to my personal brand, I guess. Um, self-imposed, but also through some strange power of social media. It's fascinating because I think that there's this trend of sometimes people take a break from social media and they announce it and then they're like, I'm back. And it's like, nobody, nobody noticed. And that's okay. There's a lot of kind of scrutiny we put on ourselves and our social accounts one way or another, be it a project um or something else and i think it's fascinating how much of that is just self-imposed um and that even the choice to like opt out is very self-imposed yeah you know there's the decision overall of whether you're even logging into your apps but like you were saying earlier like you had made the decision to engage with some of the people who were um accusing you of, of faking your project and you engaged with some of those people um, you know, you, you were replying to them on Twitter with some, either directing them back to your thread or posting some other form of proof that you weren't faking it. And, um, that's a decision as well. Yeah. Um, like what was going through your head when you were replying to those people? 
you know, there's no winning in that equation, and I kind of knew that. But for me, it was like even if I get a couple people who are like, "Oh, huh, I, I, I thought a little bit more critically about this," or "Oh, I kind of buy it," like that was worth me getting a bunch of comments of like, "Just take the L," you know? Because at the end of the day, I, I've been through this kind of thing, uh, whether justified or not, on like brand accounts enough that I kind of know how it goes. Um, but it was funny. I got a, a fair amount of DMs from people who are like, "Yeah, I follow the like." you know, faker's account. And like, I think yours is real, but you should probably stop tweeting because the more you, I've, I've seen how this unfolds and the more you tweet, the more you're feeding the beast. And so, you know, that's just what you got to know going in when engaging with this kind of thing. Discussions on twitter.com are not often about finding common ground. It's about um, who gets owned. People in the comments, they're not often actually tagging me they're off they're not actually often saying peter slattery did this and that they're just debating amidst themselves and i'm off in the ether somewhere i would be tagged somewhere so i would see it um people would be like where does he live that this is happening and i'd reply brooklyn and they're like oh wow you're the guy and there's a remarkable tendency of you know people go from hey go fuck yourself i hate you to hey cool let me pitch you something when you actually respond in a weird way? Um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about it's no longer about you. Yeah. It becomes an object that takes on a life of its own outside of its creator. But the internet is so interesting in that like, more often than not, the creator of that object is essentially in the room with you as you're doing it. And people don't treat it that way. Absolutely. And that difference is why I can do the this for my job because there is that separation. I'm in the room, but I'm not in the room as Peter Slattery. I'm in the room as X brand. It's the exact dynamic you just described. Um, you are in the room for it. It's a really big room. And there's plenty of people in the room that are like, no, no, I think it's legit. And they're not even really aware you're there most of the time. Like I say, they're not tagging you. You're gonna see it because somewhere you're tagged, but they're being mean, thinking that, okay, I'm not really thinking about Peter Slattery as a real person. And so you as the individual creator kind of get both bad ends of it. Um, you're not insulated from it because you're tied up in it with your personal account somewhat and witnessing it in real time. <laughs> so delete all social media, go live in the woods, um, spend time with your cat and loved ones. Um, and do projects like this, but, you know, be ready if you post them online to catch hell for, like, no reason. This whole conversation with Peter gave me a lot to think about. This is my first podcast, so as I was editing our discussion about authenticity online and performing for an audience... Um, I had all these meta moments of trying to do this narration in a way that felt authentic to me and not performative for you. Um, and I'm still figuring that out. And as I was editing this episode, I took a break to check Instagram and Peter had just posted a selfie. Uh, it's a mirror photo. The mirror is dirty and he's making this sort of spaced out non-expression, almost like the camera went off before he was ready. The caption is just a string of hashtags, hashtag current mood, hashtag my life, hashtag just do it, hashtag yoga community, um, which doesn't match up with the mirror selfie at all. It feels like a satire, like 
it's mocking the types of posts that people engineer to go viral. And it feels very authentically Peter, almost like a shit post that he made as an inside joke between him and himself. As we were talking, Peter was pretty adamant about how it's better to just never post anything, and this selfie is totally breaking that rule, which confused me at first. But I guess rules are meant to be broken, especially if they're self-imposed. We feel so much pressure to create certain types of content and perform in certain ways for people online. It's hard to remember that actually, we can just do whatever the hell we want. Thank you, Peter Slattery, for being my first guest, and to Justin Coglatori and Ellie Levine for their support. The theme music is the song Limes by Little Suspicions. That's it for this episode of The Drawing Board. I'll see you next time. <laughs>